What is going on, guys? It is Cody Wynn, and this is a Faith Growth Podcast, and I have my so wonderful co-host with me, Matthew. What's up, dude? Oh, hey, what's up, man? Oh, you're so nice. <laughs> right. I know I am. No, so, <laughs> I'm <honest>. kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. Um, <clears throat> so, topic of the day. Well, first, before we go over that, um, if you could smash that podcast subscribe button there for the Faith Growth Course, it helps with the algorithm so much for other people to hear about Jesus. So I'd be much appreciated if you could leave a kind comment if you think what we're doing here is halfway okay. And we want to say a thank you for our last video that got, that has... Yeah, so at the point that we're um, doing this right now, uh, this recording, there has been over 1,100 people in four days, or excuse me, in three days who have listen to the podcast, the first podcast on porn, and it's just going to grow by the thousands as the rest of them come out. And so that's just you. part one. That's L4. just part one. Out four. So yes. Stay tuned, guys. So thank you all so much for that. Uh, it's much appreciated. Today's topic, <clears throat> strap your seatbelts in, this whole series is going to be on the concept of demonic church teachings. That's what we're titling it. That's what the series is called. And the reason it's called that, so you can understand some background, is there are quite a few teachings that churches have today, and um, I find them as extremely, extremely damning beliefs. And I'm not saying a cuss word. It means condemning beliefs, beliefs that keep people apart from Jesus. Opposite of convicting. Yes, yeah, not convicting, but condemning. Condemning, sending people to eternity in hell. So um, I'm not going to argue semantics in this. I'm not going to argue at what age people should get baptized. I don't care about any of that stuff really at the end of the day. I care about things that are going to keep people from Jesus. So understand when we discuss any of these things that we discuss in this podcast today and for this whole series, it's going to be demonic teachings that are literally going to keep people from the kingdom of God. So, so understand that in regards to all this stuff. With that being said, today's topic specifically is going to be on the prayer. If you don't know what the prayer is, <clears throat> the prayer is... This belief that if you say a certain prayer, that God is going to keep you and uh, save you from your sins, if you can just pray this prayer. So I might already have a few of you already kind of scratching your heads because you're going, uh, Cody, did you not pray when you gave your life to Jesus? Um, because most people do. And that's kind of the predominant view that we have here. I'm going to step back from that for a second. And I'm going to present what I'm about to say in light of the New Testament Bible. Where do we find truth, Matthew? The Bible. Yes, the Bible. The Bible is where we find truth. None of what I'm about to say right now is my opinion, my feelings, what I think on the matter. I'm going to share the truth of the Word of God on the matter, and that's where we find truth. And Scripture says, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, the New Testament Bible was written this way. There are four gospel accounts. Those are all four different eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life death and resurrection. And then after that, you have these things that we call epistles. Epistle is a fancy word to say a letter that was written from somebody to the church. Majority of it was written by Paul in regards to quantity of letters. Was it 13 letters? It was 13, 14, somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, and then we have, you know, James, Jude, Philemon, John, and then Revelation is talking about the end of times. So that pretty much covers the whole entire New Testament. So Jesus comes on the scene in Matthew 5 of the New Testament, and he corrects the understanding of what it looks like to live like a Christian. That's what Jesus does. And then Jesus is spending his a big portion of his ministry talking to the religious leaders of the day called 
Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes, and these were the religious top dogs, and he was constantly lighting them up for things that they had incorrect beliefs on. Jesus has a whole chapter dedicated to them in Matthew 23 called the Woe to the Pharisees. And then when the New Testament starts, well, Acts starts, I should take a step back, and Acts starts, and then it says the early church, and they're having the exact same issues with the religious leaders of the day. Then we go to the epistles, and Paul and all of the other authors of the New Testament, they're doing the exact same thing. They are correcting the misunderstanded views of the church. So I'm not doing this in a condemning way. I'm not doing this in a, you're an idiot, how did you not know better way. I'm doing it in the same way that we see the New Testament apostles doing it. Does that mean that I think that I am just like a New Testament apostle? No, not even close. But I'm using what they said to warn us. It's called reproofing us today. It means to remind somebody of something that they already knew but weren't doing correctly. So that's what I'm going to be doing through all of this right here. And we see that Paul talks about certain things like in 1 Corinthians, he says, I hear that there's quarreling among you all and I in part believe it. And aren't you only mere babes in Christ if you're so quarreling with one another? And quarreling, fighting with one another, debating, yes. like verbally. Exactly. And that was a really, really big deal, Paul. Enough to say because of that one topic that they were just mere babes in Christ. And then in Revelation, John is writing this down, but he is writing the words of Jesus. And Jesus is speaking to the churches of the time. He's speaking to seven churches. And these churches have the exact same struggles um, and very similar struggles to what our churches today have. So I'm going to start in Revelation 3.1. Jesus is speaking again. It says, To the angel of the church of Sardis writes, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds. He's talking to a church, remember. I know your deeds and that you have a reputation that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things which remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds as completed in my sight. So remember what you have received and heard it and keep it and repent Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief in the night and you will not know what uh, hour I will be coming. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed with white garments and I will erase, I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and the angels. White garments is a spiritual picture in scripture of salvation. If you hear of white garments ever, that's always referencing salvation. What? What about the book of life? What is that? Yeah, the book of life is this thing discussed many times in Revelation. And this is the Lamb's book of life. And the Lamb's book of life is for all people who are born again. If you are born again, you are in the Lamb's book of life. If you are not, you are not in the Lamb's book of life. Because they also use the word like blot, like blot out. So then you can also get removed from exactly. the book of life. Yes, you can also be removed from this book of life. <clears throat> it actually talks about this here in Revelation 2 and 3 specifically. Mm. So one of the first verses in this chapter says, I know that you, I know your deeds and you have a reputation that you are alive, but you are dead. That doesn't make sense. Can you alive, but dead? Yeah. So the reason that there was this confusion here is because the way that people were living or acting made the outside world assume that these people were actually alive because they had good things about their their churches and about their individual walk with Christ. But that does not mean that they were actually living in accordance to the word of God. If we look at Matthew 23 and the word of the Pharisees I referenced earlier, it says, 
The scribes of the Pharisees have seated themselves in the high chair of Moses, again Jesus speaking, Therefore, all that they do and observe, do them, but do not do in according to their deeds. For they say things, but do not do them. This is in reference to this exact same concept of having a reputation that you're alive because it goes on in the Sermon on the Mountain to say, they tie up heavy burdens and put them on the shoulders of men and they themselves won't lift a finger and they do all their deeds to be noticed by men and they have special garments on and they like to be in the, the fancy seats in the synagogue also that they can get the honor and praise of men. It's like, Talking the talk, but not walking the walk. Exactly what it is. And for that, they were going to receive serious reprimand for it on the day of judgment. And that reprimand was going to be eternity apart from Christ. So they were going to spend eternity in the lake of fire because of these things. And this is why it's such a big deal to me. Again, if you remember the very beginning of this podcast, I said, my intention is for you to understand something that could potentially save you from eternal separation in Christ because you've never heard it before. You said the lake of fire. Why not hell? Yeah, great question. So um, this is one of the really, really common misunderstandings that us as Christians have. Uh, I'll give you another one. If I ask you what an angel looks like right now, you would tell me that it is a a person in white clothing or maybe an armor or something, and they have this halo on their head, and they have these big wings, and they're this bright, shining thing. Okay, that is a completely pagan belief on what an angel looks like. That is never mentioned in Scripture. Some of those um, attributes I just mentioned are mentioned in Scripture, But that's not really what an angel looks like. Uh, The definition of an angel in Greek is a messenger. So I am an angel, you're an angel, because we are messengers. And then in the same way, people always think of hell as eternal separation from God, and it's not. The lake of fire is where people will spend eternity at. Yeah, because it never doesn't ever say hell explicitly in the Bible. It does, yeah. It It does does say the word hell. Um, It says that you will spend... um, or that you will go to the fiery hell. That's even mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. But yeah, the lake of fire is what we see mentioned in Revelation in regards to where people will spend eternity after Judgment Day. There's a lot of words that people use for hell, like Sheol, and um, the other one isn't coming to my... They say like gnashing of teeth. Is that yeah, there's going to be the weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Sheol means death. And, you know, mm. and then there's another word that's not coming to my mind right now. Hopefully I'll think of it later. But yeah, you get the point. So yeah, it's just one of those things that people just misunderstood. I mean, I still say the word hell in regards to eternal punishment. It's not a hill to die on, but it's just, it is also important to understand that there is actually, there actually is a difference. So the, this whole concept of saying a prayer, why am I so frustrated by it? Why do I believe it's a demonic belief? And what is the biblical solution to it? Well, I want to start off with talking about Matthew 13 here. You, If you have been following with me for a little while, then you have heard me quote this before, and you will hear me quote it many, many times. And you might go, Cody, well, why do you quote it so regularly? I mean, you know that there's a lot of the Bible you can quote, right? And you're 100% right. There's a lot of the Bible I can quote. And I intentionally choose not to quote a lot of it. I intentionally choose to quote specific scriptures over and over and over again because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ per Romans 10. And second off, because these are extremely important scriptures and Jesus says that his word will never pass away. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's crucial that you understand the points that I'm making in these verses. <clears throat> so let's get to it. Jesus is telling this parable of the sower and the seed. And I'm going to paraphrase the first part, but it says that Uh, There was a man and he threw seeds in four different spots and three of the spots they died for different reasons. One got choked out, one was on rocky soil, one got ate up by birds, and um, one of them ended up producing good soil or good fruit from the soil. And then Jesus goes in to explain it and he says, um, let me go to the explanation, sorry. It says, 
Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom of God and does not understand it, the evil one snatches it up. What has been uh, sown in their heart, this is the seed who was sown beside the road. The one whom the seed has sown in rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, meaning that they actually accept the gospel. Yet has no firm root in it, but is only temporary. And when afflictions and per- persecution arise because of the word, because of the word, excuse me, immediately he falls away. And what would affliction or persecute um, entail? Yeah, just uh, affliction is in reference to crap happening in life. Your grandma passes. Uh, you lose your job. Your car breaks down. You flunk out of college. And you because just turn of away from God. And you just turn away from God. Which and then persecution reality. is in reference to. Uh, you proclaiming the gospel with boldness and then getting persecuted, like people attacking you for it, people hating you for it. Uh, technically, by definition, me getting um, all these people mocking me and being uh, rude to me on TikTok would be definition of persecution. Of course, I'm not being physically hurt at all, so it's not like I'm like, oh no, I'm being persecuted. <laughs> but it, that, but definite, like biblically defined, it still is referenced as persecution. And then it says. Um, Verse 22, and the one whom the seed sown on the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worries of the world and the seedfulness of wealth choke it up and it becomes unfruitful. And the one who hears the word and is sown on good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it and indeed bears fruit for a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. So we've got these multiple different seeds and different things happen with these different seeds. My fear is this concept of praying a prayer has brought many millions upon millions of people to be in one of these second or third camps being that they were um, attacked by the afflictions and persecution of the world. Very, very few. I'm referencing the persecution part, but predominantly the afflictions part. And then the, the third seed being the one who the deceitfulness and wealth of the world choke up the seed. I believe that the majority of the people who are told to pray a prayer for salvation are falling in one of those two camps. They hear the gospel, they accept the gospel, and then they back out from the gospel later on. We call this being backslidden a lot of times. But these are people who claim the name of Christ, give their lives to Jesus, quote unquote, and then later end up not being born again. So I'm not here to argue eternal security or not. Either they were born again and they fell from the faith, or they were never saved in the first place. I really don't care which view you take. But the point is, is at this point in time that they're actually not born again. That's a huge concern to Jesus considering he makes, and he has dozens of parables in, in the Gospels all talking about the exact same concept of false conversion. False conversion meaning somebody who thinks that they're saved but aren't actually saved. I believe that many, many, many people who just pray a prayer and thinking that that saves them. Just a prayer in general? Any specifics? Well, yeah. So there's a specific prayer. Thank you for asking. <clears throat> there's a specific prayer of salvation that many people are asked to pray when they give their lives to Jesus. So somebody comes up to you and you're at Chipotle and they preach the gospel to you. And they say, hey, did you know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? And that you um, need to accept Jesus into your heart. And if you do and you pray this prayer after me, that you'll go to heaven. Really? No way. I want to pray that prayer. <laughs> okay, great. Then just repeat after me. Dear God, dear God. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you're my God. I believe you're my God. And I will profess uh, you with my mouth and believe you in my heart. And therefore, I'm saved. And I'll profess you in my heart and believe you in my and, and then I'll be saved. Oh, you did it. You're Yippee. saved. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get him baptized yeah. next week. See you in heaven. <laughs> yeah. This is the concept I'm referring to when I say, say the prayer. This is the say the prayer that I'm referring to. And I believe it is extremely demonic. So I told you all the background as to why I have a concern with it. Now let me go straight to the point on why I hate it. 
<laughs> the reason I hate it, I, I say that because I'm really, really passionate about people not spending eternity apart from Christ. Yeah, we're especially talking like for somebody. We're talking like millions of people. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're not talking about like one or two guys. I mean, pretty much everybody who is listening to this podcast right now, you've heard somebody at least if you haven't done it, you've heard somebody else tell you to pray a prayer for your salvation. So here's my issue. First problem with it. Prayer, prayer for salvation is not found once in your Bible. So for somebody who wants to tell me, yes, we're supposed to pray this prayer for salvation, I my first question to them would be, what scripture do you have for that? Yeah, so there's no verse that's saying, well, if you um, pray, you'll... Right, exactly. There's no verse that says anything about this being the case. Um, people get it for, from a few ways. Predominantly the traditions of man, first off. Second off, because of um, this specific scripture, and we will break down this specific scripture in its own podcast, so I don't want to make the um, pinnacle of this this one scripture. But um, if we go to Romans 10, I believe it is verse 9, if I'm not mistaken. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Again, we're going to do a complete podcast on this specific verse because many, many, many people will tell you this, that this is the gospel, considering it says, if you do these two things, you'll be saved. I understand where they're coming from, so you'll have to stay tuned for that one. But people will hear something like this and say, hey, well, if you just believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then you're going to be safe. So pray after me, and then you'll be doing both of those things. The issue is, again, first off, we never see Jesus a single time ask somebody to pray a prayer for salvation. Can I share with you some of the things that Jesus does say? He says, if you don't deny yourself and pick up your cross daily, you can't be my disciple. Whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it if a man gains the whole world yet loses his soul? Matthew 16, 24 through 26. What do you mean pick up your cross? We don't we don't just have a cross sitting in our... <laughs> what do you mean by that? Yeah, great question. Um, so, yeah, we don't have a cross in your, in your basement you can just pick up and take to work with you. And people would think you were very strange if you did so. <laughs> what Jesus means is if you're not willing to give up your life for this gospel, then you can't be saved. Deny yourself and pick up your cross daily. He's saying that you're commanded to crucify your flesh. Your flesh is the wicked, selfish, inward desire of you that chooses to do everything that God has commanded you not to do. That's what your flesh is. And Galatians 2.20 tells us, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in God. So us denying ourselves is saying, hey, I'm willing to go to the electric chair in today's terms and give up my life if that means that I am following God the rest of my days. And second, it means that we are supposed to give up the way that we live so that we can live the life that Christ has called us to live. And again, to people back then in their culture, in Roman culture, where people were crucified on a daily basis, Jesus wasn't some sort of special character who gets crucified. He was probably one of hundreds of crucifixions that day. So Jesus is crucified. Um, and he says, if you don't deny yourself and pick up your cross daily, you can't be my disciple. Then he says, if you're not willing to hate your mother, brother, father, sister, yes, even your own life, you can't be my disciple. When he says hate there, he means to love less, to love those things less than you love him. Then he says, if you're not willing to sell all your possessions and give them to the poor, you cannot be my disciple. He says, I want you to count the cost of what it takes to be a Christian before you make the decision. Jesus has another time where a man comes to him and says, he says, Jesus, I want to follow you. And he says, great then you need to follow me today or you'll never follow me. And the man's response was, I've got to bury my father first. And he says, let the dead bury their dead. You follow me now or you don't follow me at all. The man walks away. Ooh. Another man comes up to him and he says, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus' response is, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to rest his head. Jesus says, if you're not willing to be homeless for this thing, then you're not fit to be my disciple. 
Jesus has some heavy, heavy, heavy words. He says almost always to massive crowds at that. These are the words that Jesus said. These aren't Cody Wynn's words. I didn't come up with this. This isn't how I feel about the situation. This is what God says about the situation. Here's the dilemma. Jesus says to count your costs. Why does he say to count your costs? Because just like in the parable of the sower and the sea that we mentioned earlier, he didn't want you to hear the gospel, accept the gospel, and then something come up later in your life that ends up making you go, oh, I didn't know that the gospel could cost me fill in the blank, whatever it is in your life. I didn't know that means that I couldn't pick my own job. I didn't know that means that, that, that God might want me to be with a specific spouse or maybe want me to be single for life. I didn't know that God meant that I could literally be murdered for this thing as a martyr for the gospel. Like, I didn't know that, Cody. I'm uninterested anymore. I didn't know that means I can't hold on forgiveness for the guy who did X, Y, and Z to me when I was a little girl. I'm not menializing things that happen in people's lives, but Jesus has a standard that he has set. And he wants you to understand that standard before you give your life to him so that when you give your life to him, that you persevere through the struggles that are going to undoubtedly come into your life, like it says in the parable. Of the and Sword persevere is just to never give up. Just no matter what's thrown at you, just keep on going forward. Yep, exactly. So again, I'm not saying that it's necessarily easy. This isn't one of those... Oh yeah, that sounds fun. <laughs> Carry my yeah. cross. Okay, great. Let's yeah, like, let's like where do I sign up? You know, where's where's the bulletin? I understand that it's not an easy decision to make, but it's an extremely, extremely, extremely crucial decision for you to make, and it's one that we need to take seriously and soberly. Where in what I just said did you hear? Will you pray after me? <laughs> That's found nowhere in anything I just said. And it's really, really, really important that you understand that Jesus has never asked anybody to just, quote unquote, say a prayer and they get to go to heaven. The power of God was shown constantly through miraculous signs and wonders. And the gospel was boldly proclaimed every single time we see through the gospels through Acts. So people get this concept because, again, there's this this Romans 10.9 scripture, which we will all break down in great detail specifically. So there's that scripture. And then there's also this concept of it being so much more convenient to ask a group of people in a church building on a Sunday morning, will you raise your hand if you prayed that prayer with me? It sounds way better to the crowds when you get to tell them that rather than telling them the actual biblical gospel that Jesus says. Why don't they do that option? It's a great question. Mind you, I'm not talking about all churches right now, so don't think that I am bashing churches. That's not what I'm doing. I'm talking about a specific teaching that specific churches do. There just happens to be those churches that impact millions of people. So understand I'm not referring to all churches before I say what I'm about to say. The reason that a lot of people do not preach the biblical gospel of count your costs, that you could lose your life for this thing, that it's a a crazy journey that will take your entire life of discipline and living for Jesus, is because... In regards to the numbers of the amount of people who will give their lives to Jesus, it is exponentially less if you preach the gospel of deny yourself and pick up cross daily. He must increase, but I must decrease. It is way easier of a gospel for you to present to people if you say, close your eyes and repeat after me. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that he rose again on the third day? Great, you're saved. That is a way easier gospel for people to accept because guess what? Very few people actually understand the gospel I just mentioned because it was not very clear. I understand that I gave a two-second version of a 30-second prayer, but the 30-second prayer is not very clear either. The gospel is way, way more in-depth. Actually, I want to prove a point to you. I'm going to share the gospel to you right now, and I want you to let me know if you've ever heard it in this way. I don't mean word for word this way, but tell me if you've ever heard these key points that I'm bringing up. 
So God created all of humanity. You've heard that part. And he has a moral standard that he's going to judge us all by on the day of judgment. And the judgment uh, is going to call, be called the Ten Commandments. And he gave it to Moses in Exodus. And we're all going to be judged by it one day. And the Ten Commandments sound something like this. Don't lie. Don't steal. Lust is adultery. Hatred is murder. And if you blaspheme the name of God, you, spend, you deserve to spend eternity apart from Christ. And you will if you've broken any of those laws. You're probably thinking, well, Cody, wait. I've broken at least one of those. Yeah. Yes, you have. And I have too. Scripture says Same. all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's really, really bad news. Well, the good news of the gospel, the gospel literally means good news. The good news of the gospel is that while we were dead in our sins and trespasses, God showed us love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came down to this earth as a man, lived the life morally that you and I could not live. He died the death that you and I deserved to die. And he rose again, defeating death, hell, and the grave, so that if you would repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you could be saved from the eternal separation from him that you deserved. God is a judge in his courtroom. We are guilty criminals because we've broken his law. And in a normal court of law, if somebody comes in and pays the fine of the criminal, the criminal can be let out guilt-free because his, his fine was paid by another. That's what Jesus Christ did on the cross with his life's blood 2,000 years ago. When he cried out, it is finished, he said the debt has been paid. You can walk out of the courtroom guilt-free because Jesus came in your place to take the punishment that you deserve by him paying the fine of his life's blood on the cross. But that doesn't mean just say a prayer. That does not mean just say a prayer. Repentance and faith comes with change of mind, a, a 180 degree turn from the way that you're living and start living for Jesus. Notice that that is radically, radically different than probably the gospel that many, many people heard. I understand that many people do. Um, specifically, people who are, have reformed theology generally have preached the same gospel you just heard me preach. I did not come up with that gospel. They found that in the Bible, and that's where I found it as well. That's how I came to that conclusion. But understand that nothing about what I just said, it was a, a prayer that you were supposed to pray after me. Again, does it not concern you that Jesus never asks a single person to pray a prayer of salvation? Does it not concern you that not a single person in the book of Acts is asking somebody else to say a prayer for salvation? For us to preach to somebody, pray a prayer and be saved is an extremely, extremely deceptive thing for them to do if beforehand you haven't told somebody what the cost is. If you want to tell somebody the cost, if you want to present the full biblical gospel to them and then ask them to pray with you, I have no problems with that. I want to repeat what I just said. If somebody preaches the full biblical gospel to somebody and then asks them to pray a prayer with them, I do not mind that. There's nothing wrong with that. The fear is when you, the danger rather, is when you tell somebody that their salvation is based upon a prayer. It's wrong for two reasons. First off, it is not based upon any prayer that you can ever say. It's based on a heart change. Second off, that would assume works-based salvation, that if I pray, then I get saved. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is the gospel. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and not of your own works, lest any man should boast, but it's a free gift of God unto salvation. So, Cody, let, let's, let me give you a hypothetical here. So let's say you just become a pastor of a church, and 100 new people come in. And let's say you have 60 seconds. What would you say to them? So, like, if I'm going into somebody else's church and I'm saying something in 60 seconds? Sure, we can even go with that. I would, my, my first conversation I would have with everybody in that church is a 60 second warning of false conversion. When I talk to Christians, almost always the first conversation I have with them is not telling them that they're not saved. I'm not God. I don't know. And that's not my place to say. 
but I bring up the, co- the possibility that they might not actually be living for Jesus for real. The reason that I believe that is there are biblical commands that will be fruit of salvation, not for salvation, but they will be fruit of salvation. And I see very, very little of the church actually doing these things that Jesus has commanded us to do in the Gospels, as well as the epistles written. For that reason, it makes me have to beg the question of if these people have actually given their lives to the Jesus in the, or in the, in the Gospels, or whether they gave their lives to a false Jesus that is called idolatry. We find this in the second of the Ten Commandments where it says, Do not make a God in your own image. Excuse me, the first of the Ten Commandments. Do not make a God in your own image. This is the number one, in my opinion, this is the number one sin that is committed by human beings. Everything, I believe, flows from this one sin of idolatry. For you to create a God in your own image, one that is nice and cuddly, that lets you say that you can live in homosexuality and be okay, that says that you can watch porn every night of your life and God's not mad at you. All of these things that are very, very, very wrong beliefs that people have. There are just so many fleshly things on this planet that's just so easily to put number one. Right. Above, above God. That's right. And, and this, this concept of creating your own standard of morality and then saying you believe in a higher power and saying that you're a Christian because of it is very dangerous. Like, for instance, if I said, hey, do you think rape's wrong? You'd say, oh my gosh, yeah, absolutely. Why? Because it's something that is nasty, first off. And second off, you're going, oh, I've never done that. Yeah, that's sick. If I ask you if telling white lies is wrong, many of you would probably, not many of you necessarily listening, but many people in general would probably try to justify themselves and go, well, no, I don't know if it would be sin. It might, you might not agree with it necessarily, but it's not sin. That's creating a God in your Objectively speaking, you're sinning. Exactly. God's going to look and you'd be like, it doesn't matter for whatever subjective reason you're using for justification, you're sinning. Yeah. It doesn't matter what color the lie is. It's a lie and God says it's not okay. And, you know, but again, we try to justify things that we are guilty of. Because we don't like to think of ourselves as being condemned under God's own standard. So again, with that being said, when we hear people tell somebody to pray a prayer, the third point I wanted to hit on that I believe that this very, very, very damning belief came from is from very, very big preachers like Billy Graham. Now, before you freak out, I love Billy Graham. I think that Billy Graham is one of the most incredible men of God who's ever lived. But there was one, one big issue that came about from his preaching. You've probably heard, and there's probably been many, many people who have said it before him, but he's the one, at least that I know, who really, really popularized this term. You've probably heard the phrase, invite Christ into your life or ask Jesus into your heart. Again, does it not concern you that there's no superstitious prayer in the New Testament about asking Christ into your life or inviting Jesus into your heart? That, that is never found in our New Testament Bible. It, it, it almost seems like Jesus is, or God is up in heaven with his, his like, and these like torn up clothes, like begging, like, will anybody come follow me? Like for any reason, I don't care what it is. Just like somebody come. No, no, no. God is a judge. Jesus is a king and he deserves the praises of his people for the eternities. Amen. And he is going to receive that due praise one day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And his standard isn't lowering because our standard on earth is so low. We are called to live up to the standard that he has given us. And I believe that Billy Graham lived up to that standard. But he had this saying where he would say, who wants to invite Jesus into their heart right now? Now, when I hear people say this today, 99% of the time, I not happy with it. I'm very, very frustrated with it because this is the same damning thing as pray a prayer. 
Well, what was the difference with Billy Graham that made me love him so much? Well, I urge you to go to YouTube and go or in YouTube a, a sermon by Billy Graham and you'll see exactly why. Billy Graham was a very, very, very bold gospel preacher. He would exegetically preach through the scriptures, meaning that he would preach verse by verse through the scriptures, and he would let you know your depravity and your need for a savior and the goodness of God and how the kindness of God will lead a man to repentance. He would share the full biblical gospel about how you need to carry your cross, deny yourself, pick up your cross daily to be his disciple. He would share all of these things, and it would be a 45-minute sermon or so, and then at the very end, guess what he would say? If you want to accept Jesus into your heart, will you come down right now onto the football field, and I would love to pray with you. After he preaches this radical, bold gospel, he says a phrase that does not bother me at all. But what people did is they took the last phrase he said because it sounded cute and started asking people after not a biblical gospel presentation and then after saying, hey, who wants to give their lives to Jesus today? And they went, yeah, I want to give my life to Jesus. Well, great. Well, if you just pray this after me, then you just have to invite Jesus into your heart and you're fine. Okay, that is not the gospel that Billy Graham preached. He preached the biblical gospel at the very end. He said, hey, also, if you want to invite Jesus in your life, that is what you're doing by giving your life to him. I don't mind that at all. But he is another one of the people I think that this huge downfall came from. Again, I do not attack him at all for it because people are just taking him out of context. Just like people take Jesus out of context in Matthew 7 verse 1 where it says, Judge least you be judged. People say, you can't judge me. Jesus says, judge least you be judged. And then he says later on, he says... <laughs> Why would you pick out the speck in your brother's eye when you have a log in your own? And you're going, ha, Cody, see, told you. No, 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 let me finish. Then he says, take the log out of your own eye so that you can clearly see the speck in your brother's eye and then help him remove his. That's what it says a few verses later here in Matthew 7, uh, in the first verses there. So he's actually giving you a biblical command on how to judge your brother. Again, this is not saying, hey, your brother's fat. It's not that kind of judgment. It is a biblical judgment to bring somebody closer to Jesus. But again, this is another way that people take what Jesus says out of context. So it's like, so instead like, you know, pointing fingers at you in reality, I should be pointing that finger at myself. Exactly. If you're examining yourself and you're right on whatever that issue is, you're more than welcome to talk to somebody else about their struggle with it. For instance, now that I'm free from the addiction of porn, I can now talk to others about the addiction of porn. Mm -hmm. Not because I'm better than them, not because I'm... God loves me more than them, but because I've been freed from it. And I just want to help other people get free from it as well. So guys, again, I'm not saying that you can't say a prayer during salvation. I actually gave my life to Jesus during a prayer. But I was not saying a prayer for my salvation. I was saying a prayer in the midst of my salvation. There's a big difference there. The difference is one person is trusting and saying X amount of words after somebody else so that they can go to heaven one day. Whereas I was having a genuine heart change, a genuine uh, form of repentance and Matthew did the same thing when he gave his life to the Lord and we both just dropped to our knees and said God help yeah both of our prayers sounded pretty similar to that God help and we were both saved not because we prayed but because our heart was changed because we begged and cried out for God to save us from the sin that we were living in so I'm not discouraging prayer I encourage you to pray more with people than you ever have in your life but understand that the biblical gospel needs to come first and foremost and then the prayer after that for somebody's salvation is 100% okay as long as they understand that they're not receiving their salvation from a prayer. They have to circumcise the heart. Exactly. They have to circumcise their heart and live in accordance to what the Word of God has said. With that being said, guys, thank you so much for sticking with us. This is one part of, I don't even know how long this series is going to be, but it's going to be um, a few episodes at least. 
So thank you guys so much. Again, thank if you, you haven't, yeah. If you haven't yet, smash the subscribe button, please. It would mean the world to us and leave a review letting us know how awesome or much or how much we suck if this was not good. <laughs> please uh, don't, but yeah, yeah, please don't do that. But yeah, if you want to, you can. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, every day that we're not posting here on Mondays and Fridays, we will be posting on the YouTube channel, which is Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. So go follow us there to get caught up on everything that you're not seeing on here. Um, you can find the link at codycwin.com and it will take you to my YouTube channel. Cody Clay. That's right. And you can also <laughs> go to my Instagram, Cody C. Wynn, and follow us there if you don't follow us there. I think that that's it for this one, guys. Thank you so much for sticking with, with us. Excuse me. And you will see us next time.